Okay, so today I'm with Shane Martin to discuss his work and experience with people who are suicidal. So Shane, can you just talk a little bit about yourself and maybe about your work or your interests or what hobbies you enjoy? Yeah, sure, Vince. First, thank you so much for having on your having me on your podcast. It means a lot uh, that you uh, are doing what you're doing and also allowing me to come share some ideas today. We're going to talk about uh, my experience working at a hotline with uh, people who are calling in either depressed, sad, or suicidal. And so we're going to share a few tips. Uh, but before we get to that, sure, I can share a little bit about what I do. Uh, as you mentioned, Vince, my name is Shane Martin. And my claim to fame uh, with my friends and family is I've traveled to 41 countries, which has been such an amazing journey. And I have five pilot's licenses. So I flew all over the United States as a young man. And uh, more recently here in Silicon Valley, I started a business with a mentor of mine and we teach introverts uh, how to negotiate with extroverts, mainly engineers or tech-focused people to negotiate with salespeople. So it's been really interesting and I'm really excited. What I'm really excited to share with everyone is the suicide line or hotline warm line that I work at and volunteer at on Saturdays uh, during the day. And then Sundays, I volunteer at my church. It's called Hillsong. And ultimately, I'm really passionate about negotiation, really passionate about mental health, in this case, suicide. And my ultimate goal is to be the best negotiator ever. And that's what we're going to talk about today is a suicide hotline. That's great. You know, you're using your communication skills and your professional skills to embark on this endeavor. So how did you get started working in the suicide? So first off, is it a suicide prevention hotline or is it like a crisis hotline? Is there any you know, specific differences? Yeah, that's a good question. There are differences. There's warm lines, there's cold lines, and there's hot lines. The difference between the two is warm lines are just generally focused for people who want to just call in and just have someone to talk to or maybe going through a tough time. Of course, uh, then you have the, the hotline, which is mainly focused at people who are have, having suicidal thoughts and things like that. And uh, although the warm line, hotline, cold line, they can all, they all uh, accommodate different types of callers. Uh, but those are the focuses of the warm line and the hotline. And you're on the hotline. So I started out with the warm line, sort of like how in the major leagues and minor leagues of baseball, you start out in the minor leagues, which in my opinion is the warm lines, and then you work your way into the major leagues, which is the hotline. And that's where I'm currently working now. And yeah, it's been crazy. I'm excited to share, share a few things that I've learned uh, that we're going to run through and then also maybe share a few stories uh, that are applicable to uh, the things that we talk about. Perfect. So before um, we jump into, you know, your, your strategies for interacting with these individuals, what got you into this? Yeah, there were a few things that got me into working at the suicide hotline and the warm line. The first thing is one of my friends named Sam, she's really passionate about getting out of the comfort zone. And I always thought it was kind of silly to get out of your comfort zone until I actually intentionally did it. And it changed my life and it, it opened up doors that I would have no idea would have opened up for me is just because I took a chance on getting out of my comfort zone. And in this case, helping people and like what more like better way to do that than like help people right while you're growing yourself. And that's one of the reasons why 
um, I decided to volunteer at, at the hotline warm line. And also getting on the chromosome is really cool because uh, now I know how to salsa dance at like every wedding I go to. And I was in like a runway fashion show that I should not have been in because I just got out of my chromosome and good. asked. I was in what? a fashion show. I know. Was this the one where you <laughs> like, strut, down the, <laughs> strut down the lane and then you got to turn and they compose? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I was striking pose. I'm happy to report that I was clothed. This wasn't a nude fashion show, uh, I can assure you. Um, but nonetheless, it was still really fun. And yeah, I was in a fashion show. And even more, so this is so crazy. Uh, I don't think this is what we we're supposed to talk about today. But like, yeah, getting on the cover has been so powerful because I was in a movie too. Uh, just because I just asked, like, I put myself out there and like basically said, yeah, I'm learning to be an actor. And everyone's like, then I had a friend message me saying, hey, I need an actor this week. And I'm like, what? Of course I'm going to do it. Um, so then I was in a movie, which is nuts. Um, it's not your own IMDb a- page. <laughs> I know, dude. It's crazy. I'm just waiting for that Hollywood star um, in Los Angeles maybe one day. Probably not, but you never know. And so, yeah, it's been such a journey to get to get out of the comfort zone. And there's a lot of science that backs it up as well. And I just didn't ever believe it, but it's actually really true. Like a a lot of happiness for me and a lot of growth for me comes uh, from outside the comfort zone. I was in a, I was written about in a book uh, because I'd got in my comfort zone too. Like it's just been, it's been so crazy. Um, And that's aligned with like my volunteer work on Saturdays at the the suicide line. So yeah, one, getting a comfort zone. Two, uh, there's a book called uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. He's the top FBI hostage negotiator for the United States uh, before he retired. And just an incredible dude, an amazing book. Uh, for I, I don't even have to, I won't even preach about the book. I'll just share with you an example of a text message I got from a friend named Megan, who I let, gave a copy of this book to, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And she texted me the other morning and she said that she took the book and applied it to her job at Google and it saved her $4,000, her team $4,000, just because she negotiated um, and used uh, the things that we're going to talk about today, the three things, and used that. And she saved so much money. So it's really cool that it's actually saving companies and saving people money, uh, whether you're buying a car or negotiating your salary. Uh, we're going to cover all those things um, and how they apply um, to any sort of conversation uh, that anyone can do. Anyone can be a good negotiator. That's awesome. Well, before we jump in, I just want to come and say you've, you're a well-traveled man, pun intended, because you've went over all these countries, <laughs> runway model in a movie. You had a book written. You were in a book. That's kudos. Major props to you. <laughs> Thanks, man. It's crazy. Okay, so... You know, we're going to go over some of the strategies and the the tips you use to when you're in this environment. How about you introduce us to the first one? Sure. Yeah. So just recapping, what we're going to talk about are three strategies that I was taught in my training for the hotline, warm line to communicate with people who are in stress or people who just need to be heard and understood. And the three principles are based off Carl Rogers, who's like a famous psychologist that uh, his work has like been passed down and it's really, really powerful. And so I summed up his training just in the three things that you can take away uh, tonight and use tomorrow and your interactions with people. And the first one is being non-judgmental. 
in your interactions and your conversations with people because judgment creates distance. And so what we want people to do is to be able to make their own choices. And of course, the best negotiator, the best negotiators do this really well. And it's like they give their client or the person they're communicating with the freedom to be their themselves. And if I'm summing up this right, you're essentially giving the floor to the individual um, by not judging them or, you know, not being biased against them. You're giving them all the space they need to express themselves. Yeah, you're exactly right. So you're giving them the ability to be themselves. Thus, you'll gather more information from them, which will let you make a better decision, but also they'll feel heard and understood. Yeah, I think being heard, it's such a huge, important thing, whether when we're communicating with clients, my agency works a lot with people on bail. So people who are like released from from jail, they're usually, they're supervised by our agency. And a lot of these individuals have lots of things going on for them, you know, mental health issues, substance abuse issues. And sometimes they just want to sit down and just talk to someone like they don't care. They like, sometimes they don't even need like assistance or help. They just want to sit down and, you know, talk about the problems, what's going on with their lives. So, you know, just giving individuals a space to, to express themselves is so crucial to the work that we're doing. Yeah, that's awesome. And when they do express themselves, they feel more in control of like their actions and also themselves. And that's also like what the best people do at the hotline warm line is they allow people on the other end who are sad, depressed, or want to hurt themselves to feel in control and to feel like they do have a handle on their emotions. They're just going through a really tough time right now. And we've all been through really tough times. We've all been through downs and ups, like me especially. And just having someone um, to be there for me and to not judge me is all I needed when I was feeling down and and sad. And I'm really grateful for that. And I always remember that person. And yeah, I'll never forget them because they weren't judgmental. Uh, I can share a story too. Yeah, please do. uh, If you want. Okay. There was... This uh, person who had called in and just like typically they're feeling lonely, feeling sad. You know, they they had just probably an unfortunate circumstance. Maybe it was a death in the family or something like that. And they were just really depressed. And I could have made up all these judgments uh, about this person in my head. Maybe uh, made some judgments about them circumstances and it would have affected what I would have said in the rest of the call. But turns out like instead of judging their situation and labeling them as like crazy or ridiculous or out of their mind i mean like have you ever thought that about someone vince like this person you're talking to them they're just like they're crazy they're like because okay we both work in soma south the market you you see the people (laughs) that we've seen you you know the people that we see on you know it's it's unfortunate like what happens you know, to some of these people, but you know, we're, we're walking down the street. There's people who are like, like what the hell happened? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we don't know their story. And so it's unfair to, to judge them. And instead of being judgmental, there's a, there's an approach you can take to being curious. And there's a gentleman named Kwame Christian, who's an author, talks about negotiation. He says to be compassionately curious instead of judgmental. 
and that has still rings true in every single interaction, uh, especially when talking to clients, but in this case, talking to the person on the other end of the phone in this case. And when I didn't judge this person and instead was just curious, it ended up being so much more of a fruitful conversation because it turns out they had stage four cancer. And had I judged them and uh, maybe cut them off by their speaking or doing the things that we do when we are judging someone, this person would have never brought up what was really on their heart. And what was on their heart was the fact that they had that they were going to pass away because of the cancer. And uh, it was it was just like a, a really powerful example of letting someone be themselves, giving them the freedom to be themselves. That way, they can really. Um, share what's on their heart and ultimately uh, you get to unearth things that you would never otherwise get i can imagine how difficult it would be for an individual to just call in into the hotline because you know the stigma of you know calling into a suicide hotline there's a lot of things going on and the last thing you want is someone on the other end of the phone saying like, oh, you know, you should do this or like, oh, why don't you do this? Or like, you know, trying to solve your problems when you're just really you want someone on the other end of the phone to, to hear you, to uh, just listen to you talk about what's going on. Yeah, it's, it's amazing when we instead jump to conclusions and just sit there and listen, people will always overshare. I have a friend, Jose, who... When I'm talking to him, he takes forever to respond to what I'm going to say sometimes because he's such a good listener and he wants to hear you out and he's not judging you already. And that kind of leads us into the our second thing uh, that we're going to talk about today. Uh, but it's just so powerful when when you defer judgment, when you don't judge someone, uh, you discover so much more and you have such a better conversation. Guaranteed. Okay, so you wanted to jump into your second point, using silence. Can you tell me the significance and the impact that that makes? Silence is so powerful and also really awkward. Really awkward sometimes because you're talking to someone and you say something and you're finished and then you kind of like look at each other awkwardly. Maybe you've experienced this on like a first date or something with someone and there's like that silence that hangs above the table or the bar or wherever you're at on a first date. And it's so weird, but in negotiations and in the case of where volunteer at the warm line and hotline, it is a powerful weapon uh, that is so important to making sure that someone feels heard. And it allows people to like feel and allows people to think. And really, it allows people uh, to fill the silence. And so I, I challenge everyone listening to give this a shot the next time you're talking to a friend or family member on the phone. When, they're, when you feel like they're done talking, just pause for an extra few seconds and they'll probably keep sharing because they're going to like fill that silence with something. And so, yeah, if you want to get someone to, to share more, just use silence. I'm thinking about your first date example and there's so many instances of, you know, I'm at 
you know, like a kickback or I'm at a party where, you know, I'm meeting new people like friends of friends and I go up to them and I say like, oh, you know, where are you from? Uh, you know, what do you do? And then when I, when I finish asking these like really basic star questions, we just end up like looking at each other and it's like, uh, okay, where does this go? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of strange. And especially if you do it like really quite frequently in the conversation, they might think like, okay, this person doesn't know how to communicate. And that's not true because you're just using expert communication tactics uh, to get them to share more. Uh, but yeah, I recommend using it uh, at the appropriate times. And I can, I can share a few times like when you should and you, you shouldn't use it. Um, but I feel like in, in summary, it's you, just one of those things that you feel out. Yeah. And just try out because there's no one size fits all. Because it's like, I think we're so socially accustomed to driving a conversation and like keeping it going. And if we mm. don't, if we stop anywhere, like that just means that either, you know, we're dumb and we don't have anything else to say or like, uh, you know, we're just not an interesting person because there's like pauses. Have you ever heard those things where it's like, oh, if you're going on a date with someone, you always want to keep the conversation going? I mean, there's always this fear of mm -hmm. being boring. <laughs> But yeah, you know what you're saying in like business negotiations or like, you know, you're talking to a therapist or whatever, there's sometimes it's like we're in deep thought if someone, you know, tells us about a very difficult moment of their of their life or like sometimes you just don't know what to mm -hmm. say. <laughs> yeah, and that's totally okay to not know what to say. And if you don't know what to say, then you probably best like not say it because then you don't want to say something yeah that you don't mean and it's so funny because i've brought this up to people especially at work and i'm like well give give using silence a try you know just give it a try and i had a coworker named dan who said that he was on a call with a client and they were like sort of being uh, tough to negotiate with and tough to talk to and this was this was like a, a pretty big deal size and he said that he sat on the phone using silence for 13 seconds straight and they finally responded. So imagine like the awkwardness of just like sitting there. You're like, okay, who's going to talk, right? And that's okay because if you, yeah, who's going <laughs> to, exactly, who's going to break? And uh, of course, like it's different. Doing, being on a first date is different than like in a business negotiation or speaking to someone uh, who's feeling sad, but I, I just uh, think it's really powerful for us to just ask a question and then use silence. Like we say something and then we stop talking and we allow people to respond. We allow them to speak. And it's like uh, when you're giving someone information over and over and over, like when I think about a teacher, like just preaching uh, up in, on, in front of the projector for hours and just feeding you information, feeding you information. It's like, when is this person ever going to use silence? So it's when we're giving someone information, uh, you're just feeding them. But when we use silence, it gives people the time to digest. It gives them, in this case, gives them you know, time to digest the food that we've been feeding them. And that's what silence does. Does that kind of ring a bell or what do you think? Yeah, I like the teaching example because we don't want to, bombard someone with too much information where they can't process it. Um, you know, in terms of your interactions, yeah. people calling in, what, what are those interactions? Like, are there, are there people just like talking 
constantly like boom, 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 firing off things? Or do they say like a sentence? Maybe they pause a little bit. Like what are those interactions like? The interactions vary, really. I wish I had a more uh, awesome and elaborate answer for you, but everyone's different and everyone handles differently. And so you never really know what people are going um, to react or how they're going to react to silence because it is awkward at first. Um, but one thing that is the most uh, common theme that I see is that people always want to feel the silence. People will always want to feel the silence. And an example of that and a story of that is there was someone who had chimed in and they were, they were called in and they basically said, I'm lonely and I'm feeling suicidal. And on the other end, of course, like my ears perk up and my heart starts to pound and you lean in, right? Because you have to react. Uh, but before you lean in, like you use silence and make sure that they don't have anything else to say because it might, like we said in the first thing, uh, being non-judgmental, it like unearths things that you wouldn't normally get. And that's what silence does as well. So they say, you know, I'm feeling suicidal and you pause. And you just pause and you just like sit there with them and allow them to, to elaborate. And uh, then you go into your questions. In this case, you go into assessing their suicide and uh, where they're at. So using silence, big, 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 especially when it's strategic. It's really, really cool and really powerful. I just want to um, go back to the topic of being non-judgmental was there ever a time where you're like whoa like someone called in and you're like this is a red flag or like like instead of being open to what this person is saying you found yourself being judgmental oh 100 percent. as much as it pains me to say like humans we are all like judge and we all like it's our natural inclination uh, to to judge the person and I'm just as guilty of that as well like there have been a few cases where because not every call is going to go the way that like you want it to or that you hope it to to be um, but there are a few times where I've gone into the call where I have been thinking like oh this person has called in already 20 times like they don't actually feel suicidal or they don't actually need help, right? And that's just not true. Um, that's incredibly incorrect because you don't know what that person's going through. Like We don't know what, um, like you said, in working in Soma in San Francisco, like the people down there, we don't know like um, what they've been going through, right? So yeah, being sort of going back to being non-judgmental and, and using science, they're both connected in the way that um, you get to get to unearth you get to like discover more about what that person's really going through if you can do them both really well and you know you mentioned about the person calling 20 times and i know i'm kind of jumping around a little bit but it's kind oh, of yeah. it's it's like frustrating when you know on one hand you have to preserve whatever resources that you may have to make sure like the people who need to be assessed because they're a really high risk for suicide making sure that they get the resources as a support but on the other hand, like the guy that calls in 20 times, you want to make sure he's all right. So it's like that balance of, mm -hmm. of using your resources wisely, but at the same time, um, trying to accommodate for everyone. Yeah, exactly. And we limit calls 10 to 15 minutes to mitigate that 
ability of people just sort of overtaking the the line. But it, it, when you said it, it made me think, Vince, about uh, one other thing in the mindset of like not being judgmental, like whether you're on a first date or whether you're like meeting a new friends or at a networking event or in this case, volunteering at the suicide line. And it's really important to know that like we're not going to be right. Like you're not going to be right every time. I'm not going to be right every time. Um, that's the real key is that having the right mindset is so much more important than like making sure that every call goes the way that you want it to be. But because ultimately it goes back to what you said earlier, everyone just kind of wants to feel heard. They want to feel understood and listened to, especially when they're going through tough, tough situations. What was one of your toughest moments or toughest calls? Could you, you know, share a little bit about that story? Yeah. Wow. Um, just thinking about it, I like sort of have chills. And this was a person who was really hurt. Like maybe uh, you're whoever, you know, you're listening and, and you may like have felt hurt, like backstabbed or someone um, really, really hurt you. And this person was just sort of at the end, like of just mentally holding on to what had happened to them. And so to be that person on the other side in my situation and putting these, these, you know, deferring, not using any judgment, silence, like it was really powerful. And so what happened was, is this person was at the ledge. They were stories up, five plus stories up. And it was critical. Yeah, it, it, it was like almost, it was almost critical. And the reason why, I'll tell you why. And so she was at the top and like wanting to, to go, to, to jump out the window. And they said that. And my job isn't to, you know, our job isn't, as much as it is to love people, it's to just meet them where they're at. And so I responded with just like, is the window open? And the reason why we respond that way is because like we want to eliminate the ability in this moment for, for the jump to occur, for this person to go and like kill themselves. And it was so powerful because I felt like when we were on the call, when she called in, I closed my eyes and like, as she was crying and you could just like hear, hear like the, it's almost like when she was speaking, Vince, I could like hear what she'd been through. Like I could just like in her voice, in her tone, I could just like be with her. And so I closed my eyes and just like sat myself on that window ledge right next to her. And I just put myself right there with her and just gave her an ear to lean into and to just like share. And we talked and talked and and talked and talked. And right as we were coming up at the end of the time limit, she decided to like not jump. That's powerful. I mean, how did you feel after the call ended? What was the end result? It's really pretty tough. It's really tough to put into words. 
suicide is a topic that's like really sensitive, um, even to me. And I'm and I'm talking to you know people all the time. And how I felt afterwards was, you just needed to take a breath, take a moment. And I took a walk, and just came back ready for the next one. And that's totally okay, because I feel like this is a, a gift that I've been given to just meet people where they're at. And like, I, I take it really seriously and I care so, so much. And that's why it hurt so much. It's because I cared. And so we have to sort of brush those things off. Like a baseball player fails 70% of the time, but they still end up in the Hall of Fame. It's like you get all these setbacks you go through these tough times you go through droughts um you go through uh, times where you know you're not doing well or you go through a tough situation and yeah it's just about brushing it off and bouncing back and surrounding yourself of course with like people who can lift you up and support you and thankfully i have that and that's what i did you're saying you placed yourself kind of in the shoes of that person like you were on that windowsill or that you know the ledge and you know you felt their pain does this take a toll on your mental health it's really hard vince it's so so hard but the thing is like the people who i've on i guess i'll reframe the question how do you take care of yourself so you don't get burnt out the people who also volunteer are going through similar things like they can relate they can understand And so just like talking to someone and just communicating like, wow, this was a really tough situation. Um, And just communicating and walking through like where you're at mentally uh, is so powerful. It's almost like um, (laughs) sometimes I feel like sort of like a punching bag. Like you just take punches all day and you just you just take punch, punch, punch. And then like you got to you got to like take a breath, take a rest, take a take a seat. And uh, you do that by sharing uh, how you feel. And then also, again, like just being surrounded by like people who are going to like lift you up and like keep your spirits high. And that's been the two things. Yeah. Just talking it out and also um, having a, a person outside of uh, where I volunteer to just go to, um, in this case, one of my best friends, Tyler, who I just kind of share how I'm feeling uh, and yeah, does the trick, man. And again, brushing it off too. Uh, and just, uh, knowing why you're doing it allows you to get through that. You know, you talked about not being judgmental in your interactions, using silence as a, as a tool when you're talking to these individuals. Uh, we're going to go on to the third part, changing your vocabulary. Can you just describe that process to us? Sure. Changing your vocabulary. When you speak less your words mean more so when you speak less your words mean more and it's really powerful what we say like whether your words are written or whether your words are being spoken every word counts and how you say those words count even more so and simon sinek is a really famous leader and speaker who has talked a lot about leadership in business. And he talks about in his book titled Leaders Eat Last. And he covers uh, how when we are the last ones to speak or the last ones to eat at the table, we have more 
to say because we've collected more information and we're using words um, that resonate more with people. And one way to do that is by asking questions that start with how and what. So how and what questions uh, really make people reveal or enable them. It gives them space to share. Um, yeah. What do you think about how or what questions? Do you do that a lot, Vince? Or what, what do you think? I think that's a really critical tool that we use, you know, in our interaction with clients. Because um, I used to do one, my first position at this company that I'm in, I worked a lot with community members who they mm-hmm. mediated and, and adjudicated like really minor criminal offenses, but they were using this tactic called um, restorative justice. So they would try to understand, you know, why the person, you know, did what they did. Why did they steal? Like, why did they, you know, do graffiti? And instead of using questions like, why did you put graffiti on the wall? They would say something like, how did you end up in this situation? Or like, tell me the circumstances Mm. that uh, that got you here. So, yeah, like you said, posing questions that don't lead to a yes or no answer, but allows an individual Mm -hmm. to really flesh out where they're coming from. Yeah, it does allow people to to flush out where they're coming from. And also you you nailed it. It's open-ended questions are really powerful. And this is a really the truth is this is a beginner technique. I mean, like we ask how or what questions when we're six years old and we're trying to negotiate with our mom to like take us to McDonald's. And my mom never took me to McDonald's. But, and so well now that I know these negotiating techniques maybe she will i'm not sure i love mcdonald's um side side <laughs> side note side i had note. <laughs> a, i had something from the international menu the uh what was it called the double grand mick extreme bacon burger the other day it was amazing <laughs> are you making that up or does that actually exist that's on the menu that's on the menu uh Markin and third at the mcdonald's over there hell yeah have you had the McCrepe Mc- from McDonald's? It's on the secret the menu. McCra- Whoa, is that is that is that new? <laughs> Wait, what? No, dude, it's on the, it's on the secret menu. The secret, <laughs> dude. McDonald's not known for that secret menu. That's like In and Out, but I'll, I'll have I to know, try. They probably just copied In and Out. <laughs> I don't know if I'm a crepe guy. I'm just maybe I am. I just eat anything. I just like anything that's unhealthy. How about the McChip Witch? It's a cookie, but with a McFlurry on the inside of two cookies. Wait, how does that work? What? How, what? How's that? How's... It's like, it's a cookie sandwich. Oreo cookie sandwich. Oh, no, Mc... Dude, are you pulling my leg? That's like, it, that sounds like too, like, too good to be true. <laughs> Google, Google Mc, McChip Witch. Oh, hold on. We're going to do this. We're doing this live. They're doing this Mick Chip. Yeah. Mick Chip Witch. The original. It's, uh, it's the real Chip deal. Witch. Mick Chip, Chip Witch. Witch. Yeah. You might, you might have to know someone to like hook this one up. I'm not sure. Like maybe you got to bribe the cashier. I don't really know. Um, but if that doesn't work, if you negotiate and you don't like, they don't make it for you, you can just make it yourself pretty easily. Oh, wow. I'm at this website that says all these... Oh, I see a picture of the McCrepe. What the hell is this? You <laughs> yeah, see Yeah, what the... 
I love it. My God, wait. Oh, oh I see. Man. What? Oh, this is Nick Chipwood. Looks good though. That's fire. Uh, that the only thing I know is the McGangbang, and I that's like <laughs> that's like the only thing I've heard. Say what? <laughs> well, I have so many assumptions. I'm judging now, like what that. You're could judging be. my. You're judging my <laughs> how my uh, lifestyle by the food that I'm mentioning. So <laughs> I don't. I'm not sure if I want to open up to you anymore. <laughs> hey, listen, Vince. You don't have to open up, but I'm gonna be here for you regardless. So. You're gonna you're gonna use silence, so then I'll I'll start feeling um, self conscious. Well, I'll need to fill that fill that void with something that's going on. But perhaps this could be a next episode. Fast food, fast food <laughs> items we enjoy. Fast food. <laughs> oh man, I would I would be on it all day. Uh, I went to Domino's the other day and got the the little garlic knots, the bread knots with extra garlic. Mm, oh my god. Oh my god! And then you dip that in some ranch. Good night. Wow. I I don't know that we're going on a tangent, but are you a pizza? Are you a, are yeah. you a ranch on pizza guy? I'm actually not a pizza guy oh, at all. Pizza guy. Okay. Um, I I'm that guy who sits out like in protests that are really serious, and I hold the sign. Oh, you're the guy that's pizza. like I'm you're the, the guy. guy that's outside the pizza chain with the sign. Yeah, what does the sign say? Yep. Oh, it says like pizza sucks or like um, something like, I don't know, something, something a little edgy that like gets people uh, on their toes, you know, like to be a little edgy. edgy. That's the new thing now. Edginess. <laughs> like that's the, that's the bad boy mentality that people Dude, like, I guess. It is. Just a little, a little it bit is. of dangerousness. <laughs> that's why I... Uh, the other day, I was walking to church. And I had my shirt tucked in, and there, someone was like, "Yo, you look edgy." I'm like, "Yo, I received that." Like, I, I, I did a little tucking a shirt in makes you edgy. edgy? <laughs> oh, <laughs> dude, it's a trend. It's a trend right now. Mm, you know, so, mm, so I, I mean, I'm all, I'm all about <laughs> being relaxed, but I, is relaxed the new norm where being professional <laughs> is just edgy? <laughs> I don't know. Well, edgy. What is edgy is the question. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's like the emo look or something, you know, where you have the the, the hair <laughs> covering your eyes and you wear like eyeshadow or something. I don't know. And like paint your nails and like all black. And then, oh, what are the, what are the, um, the belts? Like I would sometimes use a shoelace as my belt in high school. Did you ever do that? Um, no, but that was edgy. Well, um, wait, but hot, like, isn't, doesn't have to be a long shoelace. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's gotta, it's gotta be double. Cause it's gotta be jumping. It could be, it could seem like dangerous. Cause it would be really flimsy where you're like running and then suddenly your pads just drop down. <laughs> then it'd be over. That's true. Yeah. The, um, but the thing is, if you tie it tight and you have a, you have a solid knot, um, I figured out it actually kind of works. And it's also edgy. Or was. It was. It was I edgy. think I'm going to try that on a day that my boss isn't here. So. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you're going to try 
date. I was like, yes. Well, they'll like me for my edginess. That's a quality. There we go. (laughs) I should put that on my uh, Coffee Meets Bagel profile. Oh, you are you using it? How's it going? I don't think I don't think people want to hear about my personal life. I do, but we can we can talk about that later. My lack of dating life. <laughs> yeah, I mean San Francisco's um not the ideal place uh, in my opinion to go on some solid dates. But hey, don't let don't let me stop everyone from you know doing their thing here. I mean it's still there's beautiful people here. That's why they call it Man Francisco. <laughs> yeah, that, that man francisco uh is 100 percent accurate although if you go to the to the hot spots i mean there's there's beautiful people really everywhere that is true yeah you just gotta gotta go to the right spots i was i was at a party on a on a saturday night and i think the guy to girl ratio was like 10 to 1 oh 10 girls and you would no no oh, that the other way, the other way around, sadly. Oh, oh but man. you know, I was expecting well, that, so you know, it happens. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I I know that every anytime I invite you to a party, I will make sure that the ratio is not ten. Thank you. That means a lot to me. <laughs> It'll be ten to one in your favor. That that would be the goal. That would be ideal. Yeah. Yeah, this this uh, this coming weekend. My birthday's this weekend, so. Oh, are you a Gemini? <laughs> yeah, what does that say about me? Are no, no, this is judgment free zone. We're fo- we're using <laughs> the that. we're following the strategies that you've laid out. So, this is a judgment free zone. I love cause... it. <laughs> Gemini, it says that I'm easy to date. That's false. Next, next episode, Shane's dating stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, that uh, and then I would send it to all the the girls who I took on dates. They would they would really appreciate that. Um, I think you have to send that like to spite them the day that you, you get married. You send that to all the people that like you had a bad relationship with, and like ha, just <laughs> laugh at them. Like I'm married now. <laughs> And you're not. <laughs> I'm married. And, yeah, <laughs> I'm married and happy. Exactly. <laughs> but like, I mean, I don't have any hard feelings ever to like anyone I've dated or gone on dates with. I mean, like, they they might dislike me, but like, I do not dislike them. In fact, like, I'm happy that they're happy. You know what I'm saying? What? How do you? How do you? Uh, does that resonate with you or no? I am the type of person that I can't stand happy people. <laughs> Does that sound bad? <laughs> you must hate no, me. Then. No, 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 no. There, there's some people who are like, if you're like friends with them, you're like, okay, you know, you do, you, you do your own thing. But I think it's a part of social media culture where people just post like their best life, like all the time, and you're like, oh. fuck this guy. <laughs> Guilty. Well, if that's the case, you look at my Instagram post from yesterday about my traveling tips to all the to the countries the 41 countries i saw your well i didn't read it but i saw that on your email you you didn't read it i didn't have time to read it but i will and i noticed that you you finished the wr 120 creative writing workshop assignment 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm awaiting someone to email some comments back. I'm eager. I'm eagerly awaiting some some feedback from that class. Oh man, that's awesome. Um, you're in the you're in the article too. At the end, I shout I shout you out. So you you should. This read is it. that's the best thing I've heard um, in the past month. So I'm, I'm, I'm tearing up right now. <laughs> Feel free. Let it let it roll. How do, how do I say your last name correctly? It's Louis. It's just Louis, like Louis Anderson oh. of Family Feud. Ah, good good game show. Let's redirect okay. back to the third strategy. Changing your vocabulary. Change your vocabulary. This is really, really easy. You can use it right now. In fact, like I've been using it tonight. Like you can use this tactic, change your vocabulary. Uh, for example, one thing that's the most powerful world, the, the, excuse me, the most powerful word is someone else's name. If you want to get someone's attention or if you want them to like you or if you feel good while they're communicating with you, you use their name. And it's not like uh, saying, good morning, Vincent. How's your morning, Vincent? Like, how's everything going, Vincent? Like, how are you? How was that date last night? It's not like that. It's using it strategically and throughout your conversation that allow people to like feel like, wow, like Vincent, he, that guy, that guy gets me. That guy, that guy understands me. And I've tested this out and people have texted me straight up, Vincent, I kid you not, I've used these tactics on friends, not judging them, using silence, also changing my vocabulary. And I've gotten texts saying, wow, you really make me feel heard. This stuff actually works. It's so powerful. Um, and saying their name is one of the ways to do that. And another really powerful thing uh, to say and to do is to label people's emotions. Uh, and you probably, you do this well. I've, I've, see, I've heard you do this. You label like how someone's feeling. So it seems like you're pretty excited about this uh, podcast you're listening to. And if that's how you are indeed feeling, you're going to be like, wow, like this guy or girl really gets me. They understand me. They know how I'm feeling. Um, and it's powerful. When we label someone's emotions, we bring them to life. Like we give them meaning. And Chris Voss in the book, Never Sweat the Difference, um, always talks about that and how powerful it is. And I'll give a call to anyone who emails me uh, feedback of the podcast today, um, just three things that they like, three things that, they, that we could improve. And I'll send them a uh, if you email me. Yeah, man. Wow. Using someone's name, labeling their emotions. Come on. It's so good. It's so powerful. Because what you've really done is you've, in a way, humanized them where instead of Oh, that's just another caller. You're like, oh, that's Anne from Mountain View or something, or John from San Francisco. So I, I think that mm -hmm. really at their most vulnerable state, you've identified them and you've given them, you've given them existence. I think, f at least for me, you know, when something's up or like when I'm down, it feels good to be acknowledged and saying like, yeah, you're feeling, you're feeling hurt, or you're like you're feeling sadness, or like you feel stressed it just makes someone feel like they're being heard that they're being acknowledged as a person that it's they're just not in another caller that's just venting yeah it's it's not about the caller feel it's not about the caller leaving like with suggestions or leaving with next steps it's about the caller or your friend or your client or your prospect feeling heard 
and understood and using your vocabulary and like what you talked about labeling emotions are without a doubt one of the most powerful things that you can do when it comes to persuading to negotiating to essentially making people feel heard how do you define success in what you're doing and how would you define failure so success in what i'm doing like by using these three topics or success in what i'm doing like at in my volunteer work could be both from the tactics that you've used that you've given us or from you know working at the suicide line success is different for everyone and the success of each conversation is going to be different for me like success in this case is like saving someone's life and just like giving them uh, hope uh, but not in a way where i'm getting all preachy and like being a church pastor or like telling like being a motivational speaker it's just like giving them space so success for me is like someone is safe and like that's what i've done thankfully and um and will continue to do as i continue to get better at negotiating and ultimately like negotiating real issues uh real real matters uh, that that's that's what success looks like uh, for me is like using these tactics and like leaving uh, the world a better place uh, than i came into it as and also like creating a better life for my family and um, my future kids and my kids kids that's like such a powerful question vincent uh wow in fact like no one's ever asked me that it, it makes me think like success for me means and using these tactics means like i want to and i will change the generation like of my family name like the shift hope and like prosperity for my family to like give them the things that they like never they could have or never thought they could to to live and negotiating is my gateway like whether it be in tech sales and volunteering on the weekends or running my own company like success means everything to me it means like everything to my family and i know that you you don't like happy people um <laughs> <laughs> but i'm so happy with like uh this conversation and, and like uh, being your friend and like happy with the goals uh that i have and happy that i'm on my way to to do just that to be that shift sounds like you've really thought about not just your short-term goals, but uh, what you want to do with, you know, moving forward with your life, you know, with your kids, grandkids, and how to stay happy in the long term. Um, in terms of yeah. in the at the suicide line, what are some moments where you walk out and you're like down, where you're like, darn, I messed up, or I didn't accomplish what I came here to do? The moments... Uh- those happen. Definitely. Those happen. Not as often as success, like not as often as, as I originally thought that they would when I started uh, several, several months ago. And man, that's a great question. Again, it, it's a, a particular circumstance when I neglect everything that we talked about today, like deferring judgment, silence and using the right vocabulary like when i neglect those and try to solve that person's issues or problems by giving them suggestions or like telling them what to do that is that is failure that is failure because like 
one um uh, it's i don't really know them like nor do i have the right to like tell them what to do but i do have the ability to listen really well and make them feel like they were understood and carry on what they want to do with their life so as far as failure goes it would be neglecting like these tactics and people get angry like people get mad I mean, I've had people hang up, cuss, scream, yell. Like, that's the norm. And it's because I forget to do those things. That's kind of crazy to me. Well, maybe it's not that crazy because, you know, when you're calling in, you're already at a very low, probably at a very low point. So I guess it's not that absurd that there's some kind of pushback. But yeah, how do you rebound from, you know, an unsuccessful phone call or just being down? Well, first you like recognize that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't good. (laughs) You recognize like, wow, I sucked this time. And uh, the way that you like rebound from it is what we're earlier about like the best, the best basketball players, the best people in sports, like the Michael Jordans, the LeBron James, like the best elite athletes. And I use sports as an example because it's like something people can relate to is they brush off they brush off the crap dude they brought they brush off like the tough thing like the mistakes they made but they never forget them they never forget how they messed up and they learn from them and they take those learnings and get better and so in the failures you get uh, more astute to what you're trying to accomplish and so failing sucks falling it sucks uh, really bad but you always learn more from them and so the answer is to bounce back. You recognize the failure and you learn from it and you get better. Could you wrap this up for us, Shane, about what you shared with? Yeah, absolutely. The three things that we covered today were based off the psychologist that is named Carl Rogers. And what he talks about is deferring any judgment when you're going to a conversation with someone worker, friend, or someone you like. So deferring any judgment, not using any judgment towards them to your conversation and in your conversation. The second thing is to use silence and use it strategically uh, because you're going to be able to unearth things that you never get before if you just asked a question and just went silent. The third thing is changing your vocabulary and talked a little bit about how we can label people's emotions and how powerful that is when we're able to highlight how someone's feeling. They'll open up to you even more and say, that's right, Vincent does get what I'm trying to say. And I'm going to share more with him because it feels like he's vocabulary that makes me feel good. So labeling people's emotions, uh, the three things. And the caveat to all of this, these three things, the different judgment, using silence, and also changing vocabulary, not in an intent to be uh, manipulative or extremely persuasive for like evil. They're meant to like love people better. They're meant to like help people get to a better place and ultimately like solve more problems and get people feeling uh, motivated to be who they really are. Thanks, Shane, for sharing with us. Sounds like you've, you know, taken these strategies to heart in terms of 
your professional work and also your volunteer work and doing really tough, but a really important work with people who are potentially suicidal. So I want to commend you on that. So thanks again. Yeah. Thanks, Vincent. I really appreciate spending time with you and to everyone who's listening out there, definitely follow both of us on social, on Instagram, sfshane underscore and Vincent as well. And if you have any questions interested in talking about volunteering there, just want to learn a little bit more, I'm happy to help. So really, really thankful for listening.